Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Bull Take Scouting Podcast. Today, we're going to be discussing who some of the most underrated players in this draft class are, from our opinion. But first, in what's seeming like it's becoming a weekly occurrence, we've got some quarterback moves to discuss. So since we were last on the podcast early last week, Deshaun Watson was traded to the Browns in an bl absolute blockbuster deal. Jameis Winston was re-signed to the Saints for two years, $28 million. And the and then um, I'm I'm blanking right now, Alex. What was what was the third move? Matt Ryan was was traded to the Indianapolis Colts for a third round pick. So, what what are your initial thoughts on those moves, and what are some potential draft implications? I mean, first of all, I think it kind of comes without saying now with the whole Deshaun Watson situation. We're not going to touch on the legal side of things. Um, obviously, we don't we have. No, well, I, I think I think we should touch on the legal side of things. Honestly. Okay, um, so then what, what do you want to say about it? Because like I I don't know, we don't we have no way to know what happened. We know there's 22 accusations. I, again, I probably would have been hesitant bringing him in with those 22 accusations, but you know, if we're looking at strictly on the field play, he's a top quarterback in the NFL. I I understand that, but I don't think 22 allegations come out of nowhere. I'm not. Oh. I, I understand that in this country, you're proven, it, you're innocent until proven guilty, and and that's right. But I've I've listened to the testimonies of of some of these women. And they they are extremely genuine. The, you, I it would be really wrong to to question that. Uh, what I don't, I can't really get on board with is giving 230 million every dollar guaranteed to someone who to someone to be the face of your franchise the face of your city your in, in terms of sports that much money with those allegations against him i think that it's impossible to talk about this move without talking about the legal side because it's messy it, it's and and that's why i think it's such a big risk yeah i mean i agree with you i i don't think i would have really touched him until all of that was was settled just because you mentioned I wouldn't feel comfortable having him be the face of my franchise with all of that, you know, going on. I, I understand that you wanted an upgrade from Baker, but I mean, you know, he obviously he's had a, he's had a clean, a clean pass that regardless of what you think about him, you know, I thought he was a, a solid face of the franchise, especially for the Browns. They were through so much turmoil um, before they drafted him and, even though, you know, he might not be a Super Bowl winning quarterback, I would have stuck with Baker until at least the whole legal situation could have gotten figured out. I understand why they had to move quickly because once the um, once the seven uh, actual lawsuits got, you know, that part of the, his case got closed, I realized all the teams moved on him. And if you wanted him, you had to move now. I just wish, you know, maybe the NFL or – someone had a way of stepping in and say, let's pump the brakes a little bit. Let's let this get figured out first. But that's just not the way the NFL works. Yeah. I think we can maybe look at the, the draft implications for it. I don't think there's too many, honestly, the Cleveland Cleveland set with Watson at quarterback, obviously Houston is not going to be going quarterback. They Davis Mills closed the 2021 season really promisingly. And now, now they've got so many picks over the next three years to build around him. I think that that's the focus for them right now. Build around him if for some and and trust him if for some reason he falters and he's not the the guy. You have so much draft ammunition over the next two years to go get that guy. So I think right now the focus has to be on Davis Mills if you're Houston. Yeah, I totally agree. I think you know obviously the Browns doesn't change the draft strategy. They gave up three first round picks, so um, 
that's really the main draft implications for the Browns. I think the Texans, like you said, they're going to stick with Davis Mills for at least this year. Um, and I think, you know, if he falters, they have plenty of ammo to, like you said, go up and get a quarterback if they need to. And, you know, maybe if he's the guy, they have plenty of first round picks to, to build a, a really good team around him, including, you know, the third in the thir- 12th or 13th pick. I can't remember off the top of my head. Um, so, yeah, a lot of a lot of ammo to build around Davis Mills. I think now we can touch on the, the Saints and Jameis Winston slightly. Um, I think two years, 28 million to me seems like the Saints probably won't be going quarterback uh, this year in the draft. I, I think that's too much money, in my opinion, to commit to James Winston, especially for a Saints team that's pretty tight up against the cap. The fact that they're committing all this money, you, you know, a, a lot of money that they could have spent elsewhere to go back to Winston, to me, seems like. They'll roll with Winston for at least this year. Again, see how we go, see how the season goes. If it plays really well, great, we got our quarterback. If not, we'll go to the well next year. I think they're rolling with Winston almost reluctantly. Uh, in, in the in the outside world, in the media, we always catch on to things a little bit later than it's known around the NFL. And it's looked like in, in the last two days, especially that Malik Willis and Kenny Pickett might be out of reach for the, the the New Orleans Saints. I, I always thought that, you know, it, it might be possible they slide. I actually published a mock draft on Monday where the Saints picked the first quarterback off the board. And one day later now, I would probably change that because there's it, it's really come on strong in the last 24 to 48 hours that, you know, the Lions are really into Malik Willis. And we saw the contingent that the Panthers sent to, the, to Kenny Pickett's pro day. So maybe the Saints were – maybe they liked one of those guys, but now they don't really think they're in the range to get him. They were in the, the Sean Watson sweepstakes. That didn't work out. And so, you know, the, they know that Jameis Winston was was solid before his ACL tear. So it was, it was a safe option to to go back to. And I think now we can get into the, the, the other move in which Matt Ryan was traded from the Falcons to the Colts. And they signed, the Falcons signed Marcus Mariota. So we can also touch on that. But here's why I really like the move. For the Colts, I don't think that the Colts are going to be winning a Super Bowl with Matt Ryan, but I think he's just enough of an upgrade over Carson Wentz for Frank Reich and Chris Ballard to keep their jobs past 2022 and then build around a, the, the long-term quarterback, whoever that's going to be, down the road. Because if you, if you look at the, the, the roster, it's a talented roster, and missing the playoffs a second year in a row would be inexcusable. But with how loaded the AFC has become, it's getting harder and harder to make the playoffs in that conference. They needed to get, even if it was a slight, a slight upgrade over Carson Wentz, they needed that. And they needed especially a veteran who had the poise to perform in the biggest moments. And so I think Matt Ryan offers that over Carson Wentz. I think they'll end up making the playoffs next year. May not go too far. I don't think they're true title contenders with Matt Ryan at the tail end of his career, but that, that can, that can keep them their jobs. I I've, I really like both Reich and Ballard as a head coach and, and general manager. They, they can keep their jobs until Matt Ryan's career really dwindles. They find the next guy. They're not in too much of a rush now. It makes a lot of sense from Indy's perspective. Yeah, I agree. It makes a lot of sense. And they've been put in a really tough situation since the retirement of Andrew Luck. They've had a really good team. They, you know, plan to build up a really good team around Luck. And, you know, with Luck's retirement, that really good team was almost to their detriment because they were never bad enough to get a high pick to be able to go draft a, a potential franchise quarterback. So they've always kind of been stuck in quarterback limbo with a really good team that's, you know, 
basically carried the quarterback. Um, so that's they're kind of stuck. Um, but I think, like you said, Matt Ryan, definitely a good move to upgrade from Wentz to Ryan. I think, yeah, it, it's be really tough to consider them Super Bowl contenders just because of how strong the AFC is. But they're definitely strongly in the uh, playoff conversation. I also expect them to make the playoffs. And like you said, I think it gives, you know, both um, Frank Reich and Chris Ballard a, a, a really good shot to keep their job uh, after this year. Yeah, and so now – the, re the real question on the other side of this trade is we, we saw the Falcons sign Marcus Mariota. Do you think the Falcons are going to roll with Marcus Mariota as the only quarterback that has a shot at the QB1 job in this offseason, or do you think they might go quarterback at eighth overall? So I'm still a little torn on this. I, my gut says that I think they're going to stick with Marcus Mariota. Um, I still haven't seen the exact details of the contract. Um, so the, the amount of money that they commit to the quarterback position would kind of push so me in one direction. It, it was two years, 18.75 million. Oh, so that honestly, that doesn't really help because it's kind of like a middle road. What? Yeah, nine million I, I think year. that's the, that's the purpose of the deal. Yeah. So yeah, maybe, maybe they're setting up, setting it up for, they have a quarterback that they really like. And honestly, with signing Marcus Mariota, maybe Malik Willis, if he was to make it to the Falcons, he could go there um, just because I feel like it's a similar playing style, both very mobile quarterbacks, big arms. Um, so maybe that's their plan. They'll roll with Marcus Mariota. If Malik Willis is there, they'll take him, um, especially with that contract. It kind of makes it so they can make the argument he's our friend, he's our starting quarterback for the year. Or, yeah, we signed up, signed him in case, you know, we weren't able to draft a quarterback. But, you know, talking this out a little bit more, I think probably day one he will be the starter because if they were to draft Malik Willis, I would hope they would let him sit for, oh, yeah. uh, you know, at least half the season, hopefully more. Um, so, yeah, I, I'd say that he's probably the day one starter regardless of what happens. But with that contract, play, similar play styles, Maybe watch out for Malik Willis if he gets there to the Falcons. Yeah, I think that they don't know themselves the answer to that question. A lot depends on how the board falls at quarterback. Signing Marcus Mariota gives them the chance to be okay with their quarterback situation if they don't get a guy that they like in the draft at eighth overall. So I think now we can move into this the larger segment of this podcast, and that's talking about the underrated players in this draft class. We've been scouting over 100 players by now. And there's a, there's a few guys, obviously, we really like that aren't really getting the attention in the league and, or in the, in the media, I should say. And we want to talk about some of these names. But first, let's go into some of the bigger names in day one. We've got a trio of guys that I honestly think can be pro ballers, each of them in the NFL, that look like they're late round one type guys, which is really surprising to me. And those are the linebackers, Devin Lloyd and Nicobe Dean. And then Texas A&M guard, Kenyon Green. Yeah, so I think to start off with the linebackers, I think we both have either top 10 or, or right outside the top 10 grades on both those guys. I think they both bring really, really good skill sets for the linebacker position. Um, I, I can kind of understand why N'Kobe Dean's being pushed down the board a little bit just due to his, his, um, his uh, he's a little bit undersized, I think. 
to me, that doesn't really matter too much. I think he's he flies around the football field. He's a great tackler, a really good blitzer. He shows, you know, does a really good job in coverage. He was the leader of that, you know, almost all-time great Georgia defense. So I think you can kind of look past some of those size concerns. Devin Lloyd, to me, is really confusing, though. I, he, to me, he's the prototypical linebacker. Uh, he's my linebacker one, top 10 grade. I mean, I feel like he's got all the tools. So I'm kind of shocked to see him being, you know, potentially a late round um, pick. So, you know, Devin Lloyd, I don't really get, but that's what we're seeing in mock drafts. That's what we're hearing from um, from sources. I think what what is with Devin Lloyd is that the testing numbers did not match up to what we expected. We we see a prototype on film. Honestly, he's he's really big, really long, really athletic, flies around the football field, even has so much potential in pass rush because he can bend around the edge, use his hands effectively. But the problem is he he didn't have a good combine. He's he clocked in at four six six. We would have expected way faster. And I, I still will trust the tape. That that's always what I go to. I might move him down a little bit because I just have that concern of, you know, is it just a situation where the the play speed is better than the 40 speed? Or could this be a lack of of preparation for the the pre-draft process? I I don't want to accuse him of that at all. I'm just saying the the ambiguity there is going to cause me to be a notch lower on him, but I'm still going to trust what I see on tape. And I saw a really, really good linebacker there. And then when the Kobe Dean, it's, it's definitely the measurables, as you said. Uh, he doesn't really check in w- with what you want in terms of height and length, but he's a football player. I mean, his ability to read and react, a click to the play, the instant he sees it, fly around the field, really good in man coverage too. And Kobe Dean is is quite the safe prospect. and uh, He's going to be the signal caller for a defense for, for a long time. And then circling back to Kenyon Green, he's my number one interior offensive lineman, has been from the start of this process, will be when it, we come to draft day. I think he's deserving of a top 15 selection. If I was the Washington uh, commanders uh, right there at, at number 11, I'd consider them, him there to uh, replace Brandon Scherf, who left for the Jaguars. I, I think he's an all-around rock-solid uh, guard who has tackle flexibility if needed in an emergency. I don't really get why Green is, is sliding this far. Maybe it's just positional value, but he's a player who's going to outdo his draft stock. Yeah, I think it's it's positional value and, you know, a little bit similar to uh, Devin Lloyd. He had a poor combine performance as well. Um, so I think that was part of the reason why he's getting pushed down boards. But, you know, I've heard that he might fall into the, the start of day two. So I, I think both of us would agree that'd be a really good steal for whichever team would be able to get him if he does uh, fall that far. So I, I think you know we can move on to some day two or day three guys now yep. that we uh, we really like more than consensus. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna start out with a linebacker that I absolutely love, and that's Chad Muma from from Wyoming. I have a borderline first round grade. He's right on that fringe of 1.9, 2.0 for me. He flies around the field, really good read and reactability. Like I said with Nicobe Dean, that's such an important trait for linebackers. He excels in man coverage too. I don't think he has quite the pass rush potential as, as, as some of the top, top linebackers in the NFL, but he he's going to be a really good pro in my opinion. Yeah. I think I really love his athleticism, probably a little bit lower than you. Um, I think sometimes you're a little bit more, I may be a little harsher um, with my grades at times, but I, I think we see the same thing on tape. He's really fast, great athleticism. 
I'm a little bit concerned with some some anticipation, but I think that's just going to come with experience, come with time. Uh, I really love his his downhill tackling ability, um, and I, I think, like you said, he may not be the the best blitzer at linebacker uh, in the league, but he definitely has some blitzing potential uh, as a linebacker. Yeah. Now another linebacker that I like, but I've already had a, this conversation with you. You offered some some pushback here, and that's Darren Beavers. I, I think that he's he might not be as pro ready as Chad Muma, but he's got even better physical and athletic traits. I think he's bigger. He might be even more athletic. He's got more pass rush potential in terms of being able to bend around the edge, using his length to his advantage. Now, what, what you brought up to me is, is missed tackles. And so we compared what games we watched, and there was only a one-game difference there, which so is a little surprising because in my in my notes, I, I didn't I didn't really see too many missed tackles. The primary issue with tackling I saw was was angles, which I think is is um, is more correctable than than flat out missed tackles. So so what what, what were you seeing there? So I uh, definitely in the Notre Dame game, uh, I can't remember the other game where I where it stood out to me, but I, I saw him one that I thought the angles were poor. And to me, that's obviously that can be fixed with coaching somewhat. But I mean, he's been, you know, making tackling angles since he was in, you know, eighth grade. Um, so to me, that's something that's a little bit hard to work out of people. Um, I'm going to give you a little bit of pushback on the athleticism. I think Boom was probably more athletic. Um, I think rel- relative to size is where I think Beavers. Oh, okay. I mean, that, that's a little bit more understandable. Yeah. But th- the biggest thing for me with Beavers, and I, I mean, clearly we watch the same tape, so I don't know if it's up maybe due to interpretation. I just saw him miss quite a few tackles, especially in the backfield, um, that I just really felt like a linebacker that should be playing at an NFL level should be making. I saw him either, you know, miss around the ankles, just have his tackles get broken out of. Um, and that's just not what I want to see from, you know, a linebacker. So I'm not, I'm not a huge fan of Beavers. Um, but you know, that's, that's what happens when you're scouting. Sometimes you have differing opinions and we'll see, you know, three, four or five years down the road, you know, who was right, who was wrong. And we'll obviously learn from it. Yeah. Especially when it comes to us, we, we usually don't have too many differences just because we talk all the time. We'll have a lot of the same philosophy. So it is interesting. We have different takes on a player. So I gave the first couple names. So I'll let you now give a player that you really like that isn't really getting the spotlight. Yeah. So I think one of my favorite players in this draft, in all honesty, is Brian Robinson, the running back from Alabama. Uh, I think last year he kind of hopped on the radar a little bit. He was taking some some carries and relief. And you just see power with him. You see him able to break a lot of tackles. Um, and I think he he shows impressive ability to make guys miss. He's not the quickest guy. He's he's mainly a one-cut runner, but I did see him, you know, shake guys um, and just uh, avoid being hit um, when running the ball. I think he's great between the tackles. I think he's really powerful running back. Um, I think he has, you know, the potential to be, you know, possibly a 1A, 1B type running back in the NFL where, you know, he's the thunder and maybe have a, a smaller, quicker but quicker running back to be uh, the lightning component of your offense. So I really like his play. To me, it seems like he's he's a potential, you know, maybe early day three guy. And I have a I have a solid day two grade on him. And I think, you know, he could be a, a definitely a starter in the NFL. Yeah, I have a, I have a late third round grade on Brian Robinson. He kind of leads the tier of running backs for me that are – are good bets to be 1B options with the potential to be 1A options. In the NFL, I've got him just ahead of Zamir White, Jerome Ford, for example. But what I like from Brian Robinson is that he's so well-rounded. I think he checks every box. 
He's got, I, I wouldn't say he's as powerful as you presented him as. I think he's got better contact balance than he does pure power and lower body strength. But regardless, the one that, that achieves the goal of breaking tackles, it's impressive. Nonetheless, I think he's quick, good burst, uh, he's, and he's a solid re receiving option. So I, I would definitely would not be surprised if he was a productive NFL starter for a few years. So I, I would agree that he's a he's a pretty underrated player. And I, I want to pivot to another one of my favorite guys in this draft class, and that's Greg Dulcich, the tight end from UCLA. And for me, there there's two guys at the top of the tight end board, and then there's a round gap before my third tight end. And I have it pretty differently from everyone else. I've got Trey McBride as my first tight end, Dulcich right behind him, and then a round gap until Isaiah Likely and followed by Kate Otten. And my explanation there is that what I what I really like to see is, is tight ends who have a lot of potential as both blockers and receivers. And I think the two tight ends in this draft that can be high-end NFL players in both those regards are McBride and Dulcich. Once you get to Isaiah Likely, you're getting a guy who's really athletic but a better receiver than he is a blocker, Kate Otten. Excellent blocker, but might be always a little limited as a receiver. Meanwhile, Dulcich, I think he's got an incredible combination of size and athleticism. We see tremendous flashes in terms of route running. He's even gotten some suddenness for that for that size. He, he definitely has the profile to be able to evolve into a really good blocker. Uh, you've got all the flashes and traits in the world there. It's just up to a tight end coach to get his hands on him and mold him into the really good NFL tight end that he can be. Yeah, he's actually also my tight end too, um, and you know we we didn't talk about this beforehand, um, but I agree with you. When you're looking at tight ends, th those two guys that you mentioned at the top, Trey McBride and Dulcich, definitely the two guys that are both very good blockers. Well, have that at least the potential to be both very good blockers and good receivers at the NFL level. I have them pretty close actually. Um, McBride yeah. obviously is my tight end one, um, but I'm not going to re reiterate what you said about Dulcich. The thing I really liked with him in the, the blocking game was he showed effort on every play blocking. I mean, you saw yeah. him, you know, 15 yards down the field, pushing guys around. And that's something I love to see, especially from a tight end who, you know, maybe isn't the most excited uh, about blocking most of the time because, you know, they're, they're the guys that are going to catch passes as well. So when I see a tight end showing great effort uh, as a blocker, that that's really a, a, a big plus for me. Yeah, I'd like to throw in one more name that I think is really underrated in the tight end class, and that's Jake Ferguson. I think he's another guy who can evolve into a good blocker and good receiver in the NFL. He's going to be a day three type, but look out for him to, to really surprise people there. So now give me give me another name of, of, for one of your your guys that you really like that it's underrated and going to outperform the draft stock. All right, so uh, I have wide receiver Romeo Dubs from Nevada, and this is a guy that we liked over a year ago, I think, when we, when we first started watching Carson Strong tape. Yeah. And he was a guy that popped out to both of us. I think he's a he's a really well-rounded wide receiver. I'd say I think he's he's got good good speed all around. He's got really long strides, so it doesn't always look like he's running fast, but he's covering a lot of ground with a limited amount of steps. Um, I think he's got he's got good hands, good ability to high point the ball. And to me, I think you know he's another guy that could possibly go on the towards maybe the beginning of day three. I think, but I think he has wide receiver two potential and if maybe he doesn't become that wide receiver two i think he could be a very very good wide receiver three and it's a really talented wide receiver class but when you talk about pure size and speed combination which obviously is premium at the at the wide receiver position romeo dubs is up there in this draft class and he can really stretch the field he can also high point the football so you're getting two profiles that often it's it's 
either one or the other in terms of NFL draft prospects. I think you'd like to see him be more consistent with his route running. He's got some drops that you want him to eliminate, especially because that ends up being a killer in terms of wide receivers translating to the NFL. But it's not it's not too bad in, in any regard. So I'd hope that that gets cleaned up. I, I've got I'm I'm hesitant between a, a late second and an early third round grade. So needless to say, with his draft stock appearing to be somewhere in the early day three portion of the draft, it, he's he can really be a steal. Yeah, and I think you you have a another wide receiver that you like in uh, Khalil Shakir. So why don't you talk about him a little bit? Yeah, you know, we I think we should have learned the lesson of Amon St. Amon Ross St. Brown falling to round four last year and having such a good, especially second half of his rookie season. And I'm I'm not saying Khalil Shakir will be quite that good, but I think he's got a similar profile in that he's he's not the biggest, not the absolute fastest either. But he's he's just a smooth, fluid, crisp route runner. Plucks the ball out of the air really naturally, and is going. It, it can be very productive doing just that. I think he can be a wide receiver too in the NFL. Yeah, I, I love that comparison. That's exactly what I thought about when I started watching his tape and looked at his his measurables. He was right around that six foot, two hundred pound range. And you're right, his game really did remind me of Amon Rossi Brown. Like you said, he didn't excel at one thing, but he seemed to be really well rounded and really good at everything yep um and i another really group of, of players that i really like here in, in maybe the the day two day three turn in the draft is three interior offensive linemen dylan parham from memphis luke fortner from kentucky and cole strange from chattanooga i actually have late second round grades on each of these guys because I think I, they're going to be good starters. I, I was thinking, like, am I too high on these guys? Sometimes I, I get a little excited when, I, when I'm scouting a guy. I like him, and it's only in hindsight a couple weeks later that I look at my board, and I'm like, you know, maybe that was a little too rich. But watch these guys uh, about two weeks ago, and I was looking at my board today, and I think they're going to stay there in the late second-round portion because you know, when you look at Parham, he's not the biggest, maybe zone blocking scheme only, but he still has got good grip strength to hold up in pass protection against stronger players. Really good lateral quickness, solid run blocker. Luke Fortner has got a great mean streak, excels in both pass pro and in run blocking. And then Cole Strange, he, he's that small school interior offensive lineman that can make it big in the NFL. Showed up big time at the senior ball. I think he's going to be able to make the jump successfully. Yeah, I have a, a, a late, late round two grade on Dylan Parma early round three grade on Cole Strange. And I, I wasn't a, as big of a fan of Fortner as you were. I have a late mm-hmm. third round grade on him. But I just want to bring up a question about Cole Strange. So I've heard some some talk about Strange going close to where Linderbaum's taken. Really? Um, wow. So, yeah, so maybe maybe we're not as high on him as, uh, as we would think. But definitely, you know, really good player nonetheless. Um, but it does seem to be that the NFL is, is picking up on Cole Strange a little bit. It seems like the guy, though, that the NFL has ahead of each of these guys is Nebraska center Cam Jurgens. And I've even heard he could get picked ahead of Linderbaum, which I don't understand. I think he's a day three developmental version of Linderbaum and with, in, in the sense that he, he's smaller. He's really limited to zone blocking schemes. But he he has he has those traits. You got to teach everything else. The problem is that's exactly it. You got to teach everything else. I don't. I wouldn't be comfortable taking Cam Jurgens before day three, and certainly not ahead of these three guys. That I think are a lot more pro ready. I'll, maybe I'll be biting my words a few years from now. But just in terms of there there being too much projection involved there, that's why I've, I've got these guys ahead of them. I think they can step in and be and be solid starters day one. I think projection might be a little bit of a theme 
in this this draft. I think oh yeah, it, it kind of seems to, uh, you know, as as the years have progressed a little bit, it seems to be teams are taking bigger and bigger risks risks in terms of you know projection and where they think a player could be versus where they are now. And I think that almost ties up all the way at you know possibly the top three where you know a guy like Trayvon Walker might you know be taken you know two three four five possibly because of the projection and what teams think he could be and you know you could always be right on those projections but it's always nice to take a guy that you know what his floor is he's got a high floor and maybe he doesn't have the highest ceiling but he's you know he's going to be a really solid player in the NFL I think I think that's a good point right there let's say hypothetically Malik Willis goes number two to the Lions and Trevon Walker goes number three to the Texans that means that teams have reached a level of comfort with projection that I, I would not have foreseen a few years ago. And, and only time will tell in terms of, of seeing if, if that'll be the philosophy that sticks or if maybe the, those outcomes will, will make teams wary. Yeah, I think, you know, taking a player based on projection also comes down to the confidence you have in your coaching staff. Um, so I think if we see the Lions take Malik Willis at two, which, you know, seems – quite possible now, uh, if we're being honest, it, it says that, you know, we have the confidence in our coaching staff to develop this guy and get him where he needs to be. And I think the Bills did that with Josh Allen. The Chiefs definitely did that with uh, Patrick Mahomes. The Ravens did that with Lamar Jackson. So it's, especially at quarterback, we're seeing that now. And we're starting to see that happen uh, at the other positions as well. Yeah, I think those names especially are really what's what's pushing this now because they were really such successful developmental uh, cases at the quarterback position. I think that wraps up our, our podcast for this week. It was really exciting to be able to reveal some of these names that I've been keeping in my pocket the last few weeks. Really excited to talk about. I think they're going to be great values in the NFL draft. And so thank you, everyone, for listening. And we'll be back with another episode next week.